Turn to Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1. We wrapped up last week uh, talking about the first battle that they really had after they entered the promised land. And don't forget, you remember Moses was Moses and the Israelites, before Moses died, were battling a bunch of people, a bunch of kings on the eastern side of the Jordan. So that was all, that's all part of the land, but they technically didn't enter to take possession of the land until they got on the other side of the Jordan. So their first city that they took while in possessing the land uh, was Jericho. And you remember we also said that on the Passover, they had the Passover in the land, and then the next day the manna stopped, and they started eating from the produce of that land. In the Battle of Jericho, remember I said there was a little city called Ai? I said little city, little name. And what I mentioned last week was that, remember how, how soundly they trounced uh, Jericho? We even found out, because Diane mentioned it, and I didn't, I didn't even know that, that the walls, when they fell, collapsed from the inside out, that there was no way the Israelites could have invaded. It, it was made very clear that it was not theirs. Well, they were told a certain thing to do. Uh, we're going to go over that in a second, which they did, well, they were supposed to avoid doing something, which they didn't avoid. It hurt them. Because one thing they were supposed to do in Jericho, I'm going to read this in a minute, before they invaded Jericho, God gave them a specific command. And guess what? Somebody disobeyed. It wasn't even the whole camp of the Israelites or the, or the armed men that went in there to invade the city. This problem, which I'll get into in a second, not only hurt them, but their pride hurt them. And the key that I was, I was actually talking about was they knew full well that marching around the city, they didn't have to fire a shot. Not a catapult, a slingshot, nothing, and they took that city. Was there any doubt that God took that city for them? Especially Joshua meant, met Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnation, or, or a pre-Jesus Christ incarnation of the word Jesus Christ as the commander of the Lord's army, right? We talked about that. So he knew, they knew. And yet, they had pride. So they're about to go into Ai. And go, hey, no problem. It's a small city, a couple thousand men. We're done. We're not even going to... I'll read you the whole passage. We're going to go through it. It's amazing. So that pride, but also blatant disobedience on the part of one man prevented them from not only winning that battle, but they were routed. They lost 36 men, which they sent in 3,000 to the city of Ai, and they lost 36. Now, that's not a lot of people, but that was more people than they lost in, in, in another battle up until that time. So there you go. But let's, let me read. So I'm just going to read. If you want to go there, you can just turn back to Joshua chapter 6, 17 through 19, or you can just stay at Joshua chapter 7. What I'm reviewing here is what the order of the Lord was as they were preparing to take Jericho. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 17. The city, Jericho, of course, and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house will be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things. Now, these devoted things are idols, any kind of gold or silver or any kind of implement or anything that was devoted to other gods. This is how detestable serving other gods is to the real God. So it's, he says here in verse 18, but keep away from the devoted thing so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking them. I'd say that's no ambiguity there. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel, the whole camp, liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All, now listen to this. So now this is, is going to qualify what they can do. 
All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So they're not supposed to take anything. You get that? No personal plunder. You can take the good stuff and put it in the treasury of the Lord. The detestable things you are not supposed to take at all. It sounds pretty clear. Let's start with Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the voted things. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> right there, you're told. Oops. Achan, boy, he was Achan, and he's going to be really Achan when he has this sin dealt with. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. So now this is the main tribe that Jesus Christ is supposed to come through. I mean, you know, this is out of the twelve, it's Judah, no less. Took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to little Ai which is near Beth-Aven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Now, you see how they do their due diligence all the time? They always go up and they spy out first. First it was Moses, how they were going to take the promised land and what was in the promised land. Then they sent spies to Jericho. Even, even Joshua himself went to Jericho, remember? And while they, all the others were healing from the mass circumcision that they had done at Gilgal. So now they're going to do the same thing. It's, it's, it's good military strategy. Go up and send spies and see what happens. What is there? Verse 3. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. No problem, Joshua. Send two or three thousand men to take it and don't, do not even weary all the people. It's like, don't even bother everybody. Just take a core group of people and just go up there and just make quick work of it. That's basically what he's saying here. Uh, so about, so, uh, yeah, for only a few men are there. Right. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Can you imagine now all of the Israelites say hey, they're going to go in there? No problem. Just had this big victory at Jericho. No problem. No problem. And now... They're shaken in their boots. They are totally dejected and they are totally demoralized by a few men of a little city called Ai. We're coming to some parallels here, right? We always look for the parallels, especially, as I've said before, and I, keep, I want to keep stressing it, what was Jesus' name? Was it Jesus? It was Joshua. What's in the name? In the scripture, the names are very important. All right. Verse 6 in chapter 7. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. Joshua, you can see, is really troubled here. The elders of Israel did the same. All of, them, all of the priests, you know, all of the elders, they all bowed down now to the ark of the covenant and they're praying for, for, to, to find out what happened here and for God's resolution. Uh, and Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why do you ever bring this people across why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Sounds like grumbling too, doesn't it? Remember how they grumbled? Why did you take us out of Egypt to destroy us in the desert? Why did you do what? after this big victory at Jericho? You can see human nature is human nature. And only God's grace prevents him from destroying it on the spot. <laughs> All the time. Ah, sovereign Lord. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. They didn't even, they're saying, look, I didn't even want to listen to you. We should have just stayed there. If only we had been content to stay in Egypt under slavery. If only, how's your life with that? If only I would have been content just to be saved and not try to do anything else and just 
be saved, accept Jesus, and not worry about witnessing, and not worry about going through trials, and not worry about doing anything for the Lord. Why should I put myself up to that? I'm saved. Have you ever asked yourself that question? I have in the past. Why do I have to go through this? Wah, wah, wah. Now, look, God understands, and I understand, that we, can, we are hurt, and, we, and God entertains it. God is, is really for us. But we can't live like that. We can't live. And that's why I believe we see these parallels here. God is not entertained by our hurts. He, he, he feels for us. But it doesn't make him change his mind. When he says, go up, be strong, be very courageous, does that not mean you or me? Does their special dispensation, well, not really you so much, or you, because I understand you're kind of, well, you know, you're not really that strong. Okay. I, no, it means, doesn't mean that at all. And it's a self-feeding thing. And who do you think takes advantage of all of that? That's right. So this, this, this is it. So if we only have been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan, O oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. Now they're scared because now, remember, Rahab had said when they went in there, she said, the fame of you people have made us shake in our boots, right? Now, the, he's not only concerned about having lost this battle, but what's it going to do? Because, you know, part of a military strength, which we don't believe in this country anymore because we're dying. But what's part of a military strength is to have your enemies scared of you, know of your fame and your power before you even get to them. And that might prevent a war, right? Remember the mad, the mutually assured dis the destruction, which now our president is taking fully away and giving Russia the advantage? But not even talking about current events or President Obama or, or President Medvedev or anybody else. It was the balance of power can, in this world can only be struck when there is a balance between powers. When one can destroy the other and the other one knows it and doesn't want to be destroyed. Now, of course, with the insanity today, you have people like Ahmadinejad who wants to be destroyed because he thinks that's going to bring the Mahdi. He does not care if it's collateral damage if people in Iran are destroyed because Israel has to, or the United States or somebody has to nuke them and make that sand a sea of glass. You see the craziness we are of today? Look at what our president does today. Look at what we're doing. But the rule doesn't change. Mutually assured destruction sometimes can actually help to prevent war. Okay? So that's what he's saying here. He's, he's saying, you know, we had this capability, not this capability, we had this... Um, uh, this aura about us that they were scared of us even before they met us. Now, what happens when that gets taken away? What then will you do for your own great name, Lord? That's what he's basically saying. What then, Lord? So in verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? You see what I'm saying here? God entertains our emotions, but he doesn't allow it to alter his plan for us or anybody else. If you and I want to be cowards, He's not going to stop us from being a coward. But he's not going to keep on entertaining it. He's not. I know in my own personal life. He does not. Here's the commander of an army. I'm mean, going to keep going on this. Here's a commander, Joshua. Just from a huge run of a, a huge victory in Jericho, a very large city. And they didn't even have to do anything to get the victory. And now he's, oh no. Is that the way we are? Is that the way I am? Sometimes. I am, I am training myself, and this is what I suggest you do. You be cognizant of who you are in the Lord. Be cognizant of the fact that you do not have to do anything in your own strength, but you have to do your best, right? 
Because a man, that, a woman that does not work, they shall not eat. And a man that does not take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. We all know that. So you have to do your best. And you're knowing that your best will never be good enough, but that's okay because you can still succeed because that's when you do your best and God will do the rest. You do what is right and then what? Leave the consequences to whom? That's a hard lesson to learn. There are Christians who go through their whole lives not learning that. Or they understand it intellectually, but they don't live it. I'm sorry I get upset about that because I was like that. No more. Done with the fake. Done with the foolishness. Okay. That's why I said to you last week, you and I can live in total fearlessness. Not being foolish. Not looking for a fight or you know, jumping off a cliff like, like Satan said to Jesus. Why don't you just jump off? You know that God will send a legion of angels to save you. You're hungry. Just command these stones to be made bread. What did Jesus say? Man not live by bread alone, but by every word of the mouth of God. So don't, and God says verbatim, right? Do not test me. Don't tempt me. But being brave, being, doing your best in any situation, even if it has nothing to do with bravery, even if it's at work, even if it's dealing with somebody, they may not like the way you're dealing with them. But if you are doing your best to try to, to do your best, and if they don't like it, or if they like it, or they're doing their best, it doesn't matter. You have to keep going forward and leaving the consequences to God. Does that make sense? It's the only way to live. You know what they say? During the torpedoes, right? It doesn't matter who's got their guns pointed at you. You ever see the old uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons? When, when he comes out of the ground, oh, all of a sudden you see all these rifles, ding, 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 and they're pointing at him. Some of you are too young for Bugs Bunny. You have all these political, you see, I know, I love Bugs Bunny. It was so cute, it was funny. It was all, and he goes, uh-oh. <laughs> what, what do you say? What do you say? That's right, that's right. Hey, we should be Bugs Bunny because God's got the game tied up, right? Amen. <laughs> oh, so God says, Bugs Bunny, stand up. <laughs> what are you doing down on your face? Right, get, get the image of Bugs Bunny out of your head now. Let's talk about Joshua, <laughs> however you envision him to look. <laughs> Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. Uh-oh, what were they not supposed to do? See, God already knew what was going on here. And now he's informing Joshua. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Uh-oh, three strikes. You're definitely out, speaking of baseball. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy who, whatever among you is devoted to destruction. He says, and this is the key for us, remember that phrase. Destroy whatever is among us that is, has been devoted to destruction. Anything we have as idols, any sin in our lives, that is the key, if we talked about this in the law of, uh, of the Jews, right? Especially with uh, the days of unleavened bread. Leavening is a type of sin or, or it shows sin. And they're supposed to be cleaning their house the once a year for the unleavened bread and getting sin out of their lives. They harbor leaven. It may be good for the bread that they like to eat because who wants to eat flat bread all the time? But that's not the point. The point is, is that you're supposed to destroy it because it is in symbol something that has been devoted to destruction. You get it? That's the point. So hidden sin in the camp made God's anger burn against them. It had to be exposed and it had to be dealt with. 
Israel was told in no uncertain terms that Jericho was won for them by God and not by their own power, but they still balked and, uh, and they still chalked this ma ma major victory up to their own military prowess, even though the walls fell the other way. <laughs> I love that, Diane. I'm so glad you said that because I did not know that. It turns out that Achan of the tribe of Judah, as we read, coveted and plundered from Jericho, as he put it in scripture, as it was written, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. Now, listen to this. What did God say about the booty, the plunder? He said two things. He said, don't take any of the things that were devoted to evil, that were devoted to idols or other gods. He also said, do take the silver and the gold, but do what with them? Right, don't keep it for yourself. So here's three examples of both. This man took a beautiful Babylonian robe, which probably was used by one of their priests. Uh, I'd say it was dedicated to idols, most probably. And 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. Uh-oh. This guy, I mean, three, he took exactly, exactly what God said. So, you know, I don't know this because we do not know the man Achan. But is this not only coveting what he shouldn't have, but is also shaking his fist to the Lord? I'm going to do exactly, not only am I going to sin because I want this stuff, but I'm going to do exactly what you told me not to do as if to punch you in the face. Now, I don't know that. But if I did it, I mean, I would say God looking at the things I stole, exactly what he told me not to do, I did. Exactly. Exactly. So, something to consider, I don't know. Okay. How does this scenario play out in the lives of Christians within the context of the greater body of the church? Does what you or I do in obedience versus disobedience have repercussions on the greater body of our local congregation here, or even beyond? Something to ponder for sure. Now, we have seen in the past... And, and, you know, I'm not up on all of it, I, because I don't. I don't really care to be, and I don't, don't think, technically, we haven't had a lot of it. But we have seen people who have been in this church who have sinned greatly. And because, thankfully, the leadership of this church makes it clear that we will deal with problems in the biblical way, that they had to repent in front of the congregation, right? That's embarrassing enough. But now, the man's wife is marked, even though she did nothing wrong, she, you know people are going to look at her and say, oh, mm -hmm, right? The children are marked. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's important to understand this. That one man's sin can affect. There's nothing, no such thing as a harmless sin. It's just the law. And we're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it more in a minute. But there's an immutable law. You will not only reap what you sow, you will reap more than you sow and later than you sow. What seems harmless now will, as we say, come around and bite you again, right? And not only that, but what you did maybe didn't hurt anybody. When it comes around and bites you and others, you're going to get a wound. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's the example here. So it, now, after all of this, um, it's settled. Now, if you want to go to uh, chapter, seven, say in chapter 7, verse 24, the matter is settled. Verse 24, Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, and the gold wedge, and also his sons and his daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. 
Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. This whole family died. Everything he had was buried. Everything this man owned, including the plunder, was buried. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, that re which remains to this day. And that was around 1450, 1450 B.C. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. The matter was settled. The penance was paid, and it was done. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. I guess so. Let's go to Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the matter had been settled. You can just stay there for a second, but God now instructs Joshua to go ahead to take Ai, and this time, since the sin of the camp had been dealt with, 30,000 Israelite men soundly took the city and brought back the plunder, and God had instructed them to do that. So, you see, they were allowed to take the plunder from Ai. I'm not going to go through all the scripture because it's not necessary to do that, but you can read it for yourself. The end of the matter of the defeat of Ai after the sin in the camp had been dealt with, Joshua chapter 8 and verse 33. So roll forward to verse 33. All Israel, aliens, and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them uh, in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. So now, the setup, right? Everybody, 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 you see everybody, it's not just the, the, the army and the priests, it's everybody, and even the hangers honors, those who were citizens, those who were hanging on, everybody who identified themselves with the people of God are now standing around the Ark of the Covenant, the focal point of God's being with Israel, okay? Moses did this, remember? This is what happens here. Verse 34. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law. Now it says here, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including women and children and the aliens who lived among them. You see how important the law is? But most importantly for us, you see how important that we obey the law in its pure form, in its right form, and not the way they did, had to do it? That's why I keep stressing that here. That's why I keep stressing that here. But I'm not going to go into it anymore now, because if you've been here, you understand the difference between the law of Israel and the law as made into its more pure form by Jesus Christ, after he wasn't a Jew anymore, physical Jew, after he was resurrected, right? Okay, enough said. If you need any more about go to my notes. I got a whole dissertation about the law versus the law, and I think it'll be very enlightening to you if you have any question about it. Is yeah, it Yeah, it was February 8th of last year, are the notes, and also a special audio section. I did a whole dissertation on it. Go to the home page of my notes, and you'll read there exactly, it'll tell you exactly where it is. That's how important it is, because I and, and my wife and my children were under this law. We thought we had to live the law as the Israelites did. Not only is it impossible, it gets you off the scent of God. It's self-deprecating. It's absolutely painful, and it ruins your life. It does. So all you legalists here, you better think about that. And you're not going to earn yourself one iota of favor in God than you already have by accepting Jesus Christ. 
But that doesn't mean, like I said before, that grace means, hey, no law, I can do whatever I want, because what do we just talk about sin? What do we just talk about? So you have to understand the balance and what the law is. If you don't and I don't, then we will not, at the very minimum, we will be ineffective for God in reality. And at the maximum, we will be so self-deprecating that and, and so hurtful that God will not like the fact that we're even trying to do the law, to obey the law as Israel did, right? Look how much the law got them in trouble. The law is what? A yardstick. When you're going to build a house and you have all sorts of measuring tools, T-square, all kinds of measuring tools, you don't build a house with the tools. Because it's going to be hard to live under a house with all of these you know, measuring sticks around you and rulers and all sorts of things. You build the house with materials, but you can only build that house by using those measuring tools to measure the materials of which the house will be built. That's the law. Your life is the house. The law is the set of rules by which you construct that house. The law itself is not the house. Make sense? That's really all it is. Okay. The battles at Jericho and Ai serve as reminders to us today that God takes sin and disobedience very, and I have in my notes, underlined, very seriously. Even our small individual sin is counted as very serious because it can destroy the sinner and affect many, many others in its wake. You've heard of the quote-unquote law of unintended consequences? How much do we see that today? I meant to do good. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. So we'll do something else. Oh, it didn't work out? Well, it's okay, because it's fine. It's okay as long as I meant to do good. Sorry, that don't work. Look at the way our government runs. And by the way, a lot of it's not meant to do good. A lot of it's doing exactly what it's meant to do is enslave people. That's another story. But it always is I meant to do good. I meant to do. How many times have you said that in your life? I meant to do good. Uh, I just didn't prepare right. Or Now look, we all fail once in a while. That's true. But if you see your life where you're always meaning to do good, but it doesn't quite work out most of the time, you've got to go into do your, closet, your prayer closet with God and find out what you're doing and how you're going about it. Maybe you're not listening to it. Maybe you're disobeying. Maybe you needed some instruction. I mean, I say you. I mean me. But I'm cognizant more now than ever, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. You know, the first step to a cure is realizing you've got the problem. <laughs> that's the point. So the most severe impacting sins are many times those which seem to the sinner as so small and relatively insignificant as to not being too bad or too evil or really not hurting anyone. Wrong. Because the worst form of unintended consequences are when you and I sin and then it starts that snowball effect of consequences, which you may not even see because you reap later than you sow and more than you sow. I'll give you one example because you know this is true. The husband or the wife who cheats on the other one picks up a venereal disease. Oh, but they didn't know they were going to get it. And then they go back home and they, guess what? They just Unbeknownst to the mate, they commenced their relations like nothing's happened. Oh, it only happened once. I, I was in a bad situation. I felt bad about myself and my spouse made me feel bad. So I had this relationship, but it's gone. Lord, I forgive me. And guess what? Are you forgiven? Yeah. But the venereal disease is still in your body. And guess what you're going to transfer to your spouse? Or if that other one becomes pregnant, if it's a husband, guess who may be knocking at your door when your wife answers the door and says, Hey, I'm carrying your husband's child. Oh, you didn't intend it. That's too bad because that's the law of unintended consequences. A little bit of leaven. You put a little bit of yeast in a lump of dough and you let it sit. What happens? You make pizza. You make bread. What happens? The whole lump is infected. 
That's what it's all about. And that's why I'm, I'm making this point. That's the major lesson to serve here. Worst of all, Christians whose sin shames the glory of God and God will not, even as grace and mercy is applied in the situation, if you and I are shaming the glory of God as a practice, He will not allow that to go unchallenged and at some point, you will be brought to task. And I fully believe that there are some people who are taken home early because they will not stop defaming the name of the Lord. They live lifestyles that are awful. And God says, I will not have my name besmirched. That was the only reason why we're saved. That was the only reason why God will not destroy Israel. Is why? Because of his name's sake. So think of that. It's very important. I mean, I know you know this intrinsically, but I'm trying to make the point with obvious facts from Scripture here of what this all means. We have a great God of endless grace and mercy and compassion. These are his key attributes. He tells us. And it's a good thing they are because with a, a being with God's power, you want him to have grace and mercy. His key attributes are the very reason we are not consumed on the spot and further why we are guaranteed forgiveness that we in no way deserve. But we better understand that we're not living just for the forgiveness. We are living to bless others. We are living to resist the law of unintended consequences. And most of all, what are we living to do? Glorify His name. So it's not that, hey, it's a give and take, yeah, yeah, I forgive, keep going. No, no. You live to glorify His name. Because you and I would not be here today if it wasn't for His condescending to us and making us His children. But always remember, and I'm just going to read this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 through 19. The book of the law, one of the books of the law, right? The five books of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter, is in my notes, so you can just listen. What is an instruction to Israel? Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. And His anger will burn against you. And He will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and the decrees He has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. Remember we talked about Rahab? Technically, Rahab lied, didn't she? Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. Protect life. Protect life. That's my position. I'm not saying you have to, you, have to, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm the, the, the end all and be all of the explanation, but I'll tell you what, I will lie to protect my family. I will lie to protect my wife or my children. I will do it. And I'll, I'll let God handle the consequences. I will do what is right. What is right? What is good? What is right? Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord has promised you in an oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all of your enemies before you, as the Lord said. Now we see what happens. Israel's enemies were not thrust out before them when they did exactly the opposite of what they were told so many years ago. Right? That's the point. Do not stop or stop right now if you are making the grave mistake of living in sin while continuing on the never-ending grace of God to quote-unquote pull you through. Now, I know I'm not talking to anybody here. If I am, don't have to raise your hand because I'd have to raise my hand. That's the point, right? Warn those you know who are living in sin while praising the Lord. It is your job and my job to tap them on the shoulder and warn them. And if they continue to do it, you tap harder. And if they continue to do it, you tap harder. And if they continue to do it, you leave them alone. You cannot change somebody's mind. But we have to intervene and then let them go if they want to run their folly. I'm going to just uh, read this to you here. 
let's see, from Leviticus 19 and verse 17. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Okay, so that's the context. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. That's all I'm saying to you. If you see sin in your own life, deal with it first. You see sin in somebody else's life, you help them deal with it. You tell them, and if they refuse, then that's it. You've got to just leave it in the Lord's hands, and you can't worry about it. Okay? Turn to 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Hey, this running the notes from the computer is not too bad. I just want to run out of battery life because then our lesson will end. <laughs> Prematurely, let's see. Uh, oh, I got 1.5 hours, it says. But do you ever see the batteries in these computers as, you, as they age, like in batteries and other things, the rechargeable <laughs> batteries? They'll gracefully degrade to about the level at which they're usually recharged, which is 70%, 60%, and all of a sudden they'll go... <laughs> but I got two batteries in this thing, so we'll see. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Why? Why are we here? Why do I say all this? Not just for our benefit. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. When you're expecting to be asked a question about God and Jesus and about Scripture and why you do what you do and why you don't do and your hope, and also be ready with an answer when you aren't even expecting it. And you are be amazed at the people God will put in your path. Be ready. In season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and also don't forget, which is hard for the legalists among us, encourage. Encourage. With great patience and careful instruction. And again, there comes a time when people get so belligerent or they get so callous against you that you just have to just stop. You can't keep encouraging somebody who doesn't want to be encouraged. I mean, it makes sense. But this is the MO that you should use. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. You think that's times today? Yeah. A lot of them who call themselves Christians do not believe in sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, so it's a selfish pursuit, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, meaning me as well, keep your head in all situations. Don't forget, use logic. Don't use emotion so much. Do not, especially you women. I'm going to make a side note in here. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to end with that in a minute. Because I'm going to tell you why. So just hang on. And again, it's me. You can listen to what I say or not. But you keep your... See, they're all laughing. Now there's a lot of... See, now there's a lot of cackling going on out there. It's all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all right. You see, the men are turning around now. Who's cackling? Who's cackling? See? See? Yeah, right. I know. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to get it later. <laughs> but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, the side note I want to make is this, and I wasn't preparing this, but I thought about it, so that's right. <laughs> and wisdom, boy, and grace and mercy from you guys, you gals. You know, the good thing is that who does most of the preaching and the teaching in churches? Men. And that's the way it should be. Amen. That's right. But I will tell you, that does not mean women should, cannot and will not and should not be used by the Lord very powerfully in other types of ministries. They should not run churches. But should they be preachers? I mean teachers, not preachers, but teachers? Absolutely. Anybody hear of Joyce Myers? She is blessed. And the key is, 
most women who do not listen to other women teach them. Remember, you're supposed, you're supposed to, men are supposed to learn from other men. Iron sharpens iron next week, and that's one of the things we hope to do. Beth Moore is another example. Beth oh, Moore is yes, another example. Right. Thank you. That's right. All of you women who don't know these, one or, the, or, one or two, or one or both of these women, you find them and you start learning from them. Here's the key. It is always biased because men always speak about marriage and speak about how to relate to the opposite sex and so forth from the man's point of view and from what God says, which is true. And we're always, but see, this society, if you'll notice, has taught us that women's opinions and women's emotions and just being an emotional person is more valued than being right, than being black and white. So you take that and you meld it. It, it, It's permeated its way into Christian women. It just is. It's just the way society is, right? It's all the female deity now. You ever see the bumper stickers that say, God bless, goddess bless, rather? You ever see those bumper stickers? All I'm saying is that the culture today says women are more valuable than men. And it's coming to the church. It's coming to women's minds all the time because they're bombarded with it. They feel valueless on the one hand if they're homemakers because society says you can't even nurse now in public, which is a wonderful thing to do. But on the other hand, they say, look, women are more powerful than men and women have emotions and you should listen to their emotions. They should listen to their own emotions because it's a good indicator of how to live. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, maybe you can learn something from us men and stop being so emotional all the time. Now, some of you are probably saying, I don't even want to hear that. But think about it. And, you know, that's the thing you don't hear a lot, but if you listen to Joyce Myers and maybe Beth Moore, did you say it was? She probably says the same thing. I know, I know Joyce does. Joyce had a, had a lot of abuse in her life and other things going on, and she had to learn to stop living for emotions because God does not honor emotions any more than he honors logic. Actually, he honors logic a lot more. Does God say in, in the book of James to pray for emotion? Hey, to, to, to ask the only thing that God says, there are two things that God says to actually test him on. Did you, do you know that? What, I have said that before. And we'll wrap up with this. There are two things. In the book of Malachi, God says, test me now herewith. If you put your money into my treasury, if you tithe and give offerings, or you offer, see that I won't pour out a blessing unto you that you will not be able to contain. I am living proof of that. My family is living proof of that. If you're not making enough money and you're struggling financially, you better start offering to the Lord. Because he said to test him. And if you don't test him and take him up on his offer, who's the fool? I'm not saying it's a law. It's... The heart of a cheerful giver. God loves the heart of a cheerful giver. So if you want to tithe, but the law says tithe, you know what? You and I can do better than that. And I guarantee you, if you believe the Lord, because he's done it in my life, you will be blessed. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to be rich, but you will have enough at least to sustain and not have to worry about it. You watch. Mark those words. It's one thing the Lord says. The other thing is in the book of uh, uh, James. God basically says to test him in asking for wisdom. Because he says, if you ask for wisdom... He will provide more than you can handle, basically, and not upbraid, not, not say you shouldn't ask for too much. There's two, one thing you cannot do is ask for too much wisdom. Look at what Solomon did. What did God say to Solomon? He said, because, what do you want? Did he say riches and glory and power? No. He said enough wisdom to handle these people, to be a king over them. And what did God say when he made that his decision? God said, I will not only give you wisdom, but I will also add to you. Because you and I cannot be trusted with any wealth or anything else, good relationships, nothing. You sh- and we shouldn't be trusted if we don't apply wisdom. Emotion should not rule you. Wisdom should. Now, I've gotten myself in deep trouble, so I think I'll end here. <laughs> but if you look at Scripture, that's really what it says. So anyway, have a great week. We'll see you next week. We'll wrap up the book of uh, Joshua, and then you can...
take a break. Yes. Mike, I'd like to share with you. Yeah, yeah, hold on. He wants to share something. Let, let the man share. You were talking about what's happening in the world today. Yes. What's happening in this country. And it is part of a plan. Absolutely. And I want to share what I see in my office every day that scares me to death. There's a saying that if we don't know history, it's destined to repeat itself. Absolutely. One person I deal with every day said to me one day, and he said, the best thing for the United States if all the guns were confiscated and the UN ran everything. Oh, boy. The other person, I will set the background. He was, he's a Catholic. I'm recording this, sorry, for all of you who are leaving. So why don't, you, why don't you come up, Rick, so I can get you better, because I think he, this is he good. He's a Catholic. That's not bad, but he's a Catholic. Okay. But he, there's baggage that goes along yes. with that. Come up so I can record he, you. He record grew it. up in a work environment where he's in the union. Mm -hmm. And I said to him the other day, we were just chatting. And I try to be very light because you can't win with people who think like That's that. That's right. And I said to him, did you hear what the AFL-CIO just did? They just reversed one of their longtime rules. They now will allow a communist in the, a in the union. <laughs> and this other guy said to me, well, communism isn't all bad. Yeah. And that's why we're heading the way we are heading. Who took over the educational system? The federal government. The unions. And know. the unions run the teachers. Your children and you and I have been taught what they want us to learn. That's why it takes people like Glenn Beck and others to all of a sudden now teach American history. It's amazing. So, but they to your point, Rick. They want to stop teaching American history. Of course history. they want. They want to start with 18 something. 18 something. Yeah, 18 18 something. They, right, that was that. that right, that was this big to do in Texas because that's where they, they have the, um, the, the uh, sanctioning of the school books. I think it, there was something going on in the news, and that was one of the points. And they had actually people coming finally and, and protesting. But sorry, I think it's a little bit too late now because all of this has been going on because it was. Um, was it Brezhnev? Who was it? that said to President Nixon, we will bury you. But without firing a That's shot, right, that's right. And we've way. been buried. Back in the, in the 50s, right after World War II, people were complaining about communists entering the government and the media. And oh, no, 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 that wasn't happening. That's exactly what happened. Communists in colleges and higher education and the teacher, that's, that's what, we're done, we're done. And now there's this, this tea parties and stuff, which is wonderful stuff because we should never stop fighting but against evil. Of course, that's, that's a communist manifesto. Yeah. I mean, you, you look, we're useless eaters. We need to become serfs under the elite, under the proletariat. Yes. And, and people are saying now that's okay. They're openly saying that people like Mao Zedong are, are some of these people in the government's uh, uh, special, uh, uh, what do they say, they, they, they admire them, they learn from their writings. People read The Art of War. I mean, come on, man. And, and to us, to children today, it doesn't matter because they don't know anything else. There is a bell curve. No nation in the history of this world has lasted for more than 200 years in any present form. Power to the people. Right? It's true. There is a bell curve. And guess where we are, right? You come from bondage to prayer to becoming, you know, looking for help from God to freedom. And then you move to prosperity, from prosperity to apathy. And then uh, there's another one in there, which is worse than apathy, and I forget which one it is right now. But guess what happens? As you round the top of the bell curve, you start going down into bondage. Where do you think we are today? Most people don't care. Most people care about a dollar in their pocket. They care about the economy because they said it's the economy stupid. No, it's moral character. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. Moral character doesn't matter as long as the guy can do his job. You see where we are? 
There's no coming back from this. We're done. We're done. This nation is done. And, and our president and, and his entourage, these are world order people. And this has been from President Bush and before. I, I've been studying this a lot. I'm telling you, there's a lot here. And we can't go. Maybe we'll have a history lesson someday. But, but we're done. I mean, we're at the end of the age. What do you think? The United States isn't even mentioned in Scripture. We're not. Not even in, in its iteration. Like, you know, if you look at, at countries, you have to look at the way they were named back in the time Scripture was written and, and map it into today's map, and you'll see what countries that, it's be, that are being spoken of. There's nothing about this continent here. And even in the end time, in the book of Revelation, there is absolutely nothing. It's either because we've been destroyed, or, the ra or we're not a main player, or... Probably a little bit of both because the rapture will take so many Christians. And guess what? There's still a multitude of Christians in this country more than any other country, single country. The true Christians, the Philadelphia church of the Philadelphia church, if it will, will be gone. Laodicea and all those others, they'll think they're Christian, but they're probably going to be saying. And I say, and I've said this before, the Sunday after the rapture, wherever that takes, whenever that takes place, there will be people coming to this church. Maybe trying to come to this class. Hopefully I won't be here teaching it that day. <laughs> Anyway, have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Rick. <laughs>